Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Oliver Platt of One Soccer. He's been one of my uh, go-tos uh, watching the Canadian men's national team because uh, he's basically been and covering all of uh, their games on their run to the World Cup. So he's very knowledgeable, very insightful, insightful about uh, Canadian soccer. So I'm very excited to have him on. How's it going, Oliver? Good, thank you. How are you? Really good, really good. Um, I just wanted to start by asking you a little bit about how you kind of came to be in, in the industry and, and when did you first think about maybe pursuing a career in, in sports journalism or football journalism? Um, I usually, the way I tell this usually is that I like slowly eliminated jobs in sports that I couldn't do. So firstly, obviously it was a player and then I even did like some refereeing for a while and things like that and kind of just figured out that like, the, the subjects I could do in school, which I always, was really the only one I liked was, was English and combines that with soccer. And it seemed like maybe trying journalism made sense. So I, I just started, um, you know, writing for student papers and things like that. Um, do, I took a couple of internships in while I was in college doing that kind of thing, right, writing for websites and so on. And, and then was lucky enough to, to get a job out of college that, that took me into it. So that was kind of how I got started. And, and when, when you started you were in the UK is that correct and 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 how maybe why what how did it look how did your career begin in the UK and then how did it translate for you coming over to <clears throat> to Canada yeah I started in the UK um, I, I lived in Canada for a bit when I was a kid so that's where my connection to, to Canada mm -hmm. kind of comes from but I, I went back to the UK with my family um, in 2003 and went through rest of high school and, and college uh, in the UK um, and yeah, like I said, I, when I was in college, I got an internship with a website called goal.com, which some people might know, although it's not available strangely in Canada, um, is, is, is a big soccer website. Um, so I started working for them. I was, my college was in Norwich in England. So I started covering Norwich city was my first kind of job there, which was great. I was, you know, like 19, 20 years old and getting to do the premier league. So that, that was amazing for me. Um, and then, yeah, I, I did that kind of part-time through college along with my studies and and ended up getting a job uh, full-time after I graduated. So I kind of got my start there. And and then um, back in, in 2015, it was, I, I just decided I kind of wanted a change. And I'd always kind of thought about coming back to Canada, um, who'd always wanted to do it at some point. So I decided to do a couple of years here and, and ended up never leaving. And I guess I just wanted to ask you a little bit how you came to One Soccer. It's it's kind of been an up and coming, uh, I guess, media platform. And and how did you get your start there? Yeah, it was firstly when I first came to Toronto, I, I kind of got into covering TFC. Um, so that was where I kind of got my way in and did that for a little while, just kind of on the side of of what was my actual job, really. Um, but obviously, it was a really good time to cover TFC. Obviously, the the team. Javinko joins Bradley Altador and so on and, and the team became very good very quickly and and won MLS Cup so that was great and I met a few people there obviously who you know went on to who are in Canadian soccer and covering Canadian soccer and went on to to be involved in the CPL um so firstly I was writing just on kind of a freelance basis for the CPL website when that first launched and the league was was first coming into being um, and then when one soccer was launched, which was extremely late, I don't know how many people remember, but it was, you know, literally like a, a couple of weeks before the first CPL game, it was still, the deal was still getting done. 
Um, so when that happened, I got asked if I would be interested um, in in a job with One Soccer. And, and initially, nothing to do with being on air. I never thought I would be on air. It was more oh. just like kind of you know writing, doing research for for people who were on air, doing interviews and and things like that. Kind of producing, um, you know, feature content type stuff, basically, rather than being an analyst or, or anything like that. So yeah, I kind of got in that way. Um, and yeah, ended up ended up doing something quite different to what I was originally hired for. But obviously, it's been been an amazing experience, and I was I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And what was it like going going on air for the first time? And and how was that transition? That must have been quite a interesting uh, kind of way into into the industry. Yeah, it was strange, and like people who know me, I think would never have expected me to be an on-air personality. Like I'm quite a quiet person, keep myself to myself most of the time. So it was definitely an adjustment. But like what I was really fortunate with at One Soccer was, firstly, the people there have been amazing for me. Like there's been so many people who have been hugely supportive and given me opportunities. You know, people who are like Andy, for example, who's incredibly established in the industry and the best in Canada for me at what she does. Um, who didn't need to take any interest in me whatsoever, but did, right? And and I'm I'm very lucky for that. Um, and then the second thing was also that just because it was kind of a small startup channel, there was a lot of room for you to kind of get reps, basically, um, mm-hmm. and not be very good in the first year, which I, I was terrible. Um, but just keep doing it, right? And and start to kind of develop and figure it out and and get a little bit better and keep going. So I I, I was you know really lucky to to be in a place that was willing to you know, give opportunities to someone who'd never done it before, kind of let him figure it out on the fly, which, which I did and, and hopefully get a bit better, for, better at it from there as I went and, you know, just kind of grow with the channel, I guess. And I guess as the channel's grown and, and obviously Canada's made the World Cup, obviously they've been amazing on the women's side winning the gold last year. But I guess as you, uh, as someone in the industry, are you optimistic that there will be more jobs and pathways for journalists in Canada after this World Cup? I really hope so, yeah. I, I still think it's kind of underserved. Um, you know, it's, it's still, the, the reality of it in Canada now is still small. Um, I think people, you know, see what's happening on the one side where you have a gold medal women's team and a World Cup men's team and and expect this kind of explosion in coverage and so on. And it hasn't really happened yet. It's obviously picked up a lot from where it's been in, in previous years. But you know, one soccer is still a very small operation. I think smaller than than a lot of people think. There's still only a handful of people, you know, in in, in other media, uh, kind of the big networks or the newspapers or whatever it may be, who who are actually able to cover soccer full time. And that's kind of basically always been the story. Like I, I think back to when I was covering TFC, and pretty much everyone, bar one or two people in that press box, were doing soccer because they wanted to do it in their mm-hmm. extra time rather than it was kind of their full time job, right? So. That's still kind of the case. Um, I do think a World Cup is is obviously a game changer in 2026, even more so. So hopefully we'll start to see that change. Um, definitely kind of the, the demographics of the country are changing towards soccer. And, and we've seen that in, in the way the teams have developed. I'm not sure the media's quite got there yet. It's still a bit older and, and you know, very much tilted to, to hockey and, and things like that. So hopefully in time, but it, but it will take time. And I think it's probably a slower process than, than people like. I guess I wanted to ask you before I ask about the women's national team, just a little bit about what it was like at one soccer as, um, as the team just went on that ride of, of making the world cup. And did that kind of correspond into viewership and I guess attention and maybe for you more people asking you for interviews and stuff like that. 
yeah it, it was pretty incredible because you know we we knew that once we they did the deal to put the games on Sportsnet that that was going to be a big deal for us and and really important I think for the team like there's no escaping it and and one soccer wants to be on on linear TV as everyone knows right there's no escaping that the numbers are bigger on TV than they are on streaming um so to to get that was was really important but then even even knowing how important that was we didn't then expect what happened right which was like you know a million and a half people or whatever it was watching ice Teca, which are numbers that compare to like the leafs and, and stuff like that that was that was something that i think blew everyone away so um that hopefully showed the potential of it um it's, it's still one where it kind of it kind of came together by by chance and by things falling into place at the right time rather than you know um people maybe really investing in canadian soccer and and you know seeing that that potential in in the way that we see it but Hopefully that's something that indicates going forwards. And, and we saw it with the women at the Olympics as well, that when these teams are playing in important games and, and, and really representing the country on big stages, it's, it's a national story and, and there's tons of people that get behind it. So hopefully that, that you know, starts to lead to, to more interest and more investment going forwards. I guess to, as you mentioned, the women's team, I wanted to ask you about it. And, and they've, they've just been drawn in Group B of the World Cup with Ireland, Australia, Nigeria, what are your expectations for this women's side who who just won the Olympics last year, but um, probably aren't kind of, probably aren't favorites to win the World Cup? What what do you think is uh, a good result or good performance for for the women's team at next year's World Cup? I think you you just like to see improvement, particularly on 2019, right, where it started to feel like you know Europe was was moving very fast in one direction, and maybe Canada was was starting to to drag a little bit in the other one. Um, and Bev Priestman's come in and started to correct that a little bit. I think playing more to the team's strengths, understanding the team's strengths, and you know that we we I don't think we feel so much concern as we did after that 2019 World Cup that we're going one way and the rest of the world is going another. But at the same time, like I I, I do think that the investment in Europe has been massive. Um, there's obviously established clubs and and soccer cultures there, which which helps as well. Um, there's some really deep teams and you know teams with resources and with their own league and so on and, and lots of things that Canada doesn't have um but I think you know as 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 much as the World Cup is a, is a more difficult tournament and obviously a longer tournament you know Canada showed at the Olympics that one, one to 15 or 16 or however many players you want to take that they're, they're still a top class team right so we we can talk about in the long term, certain things I do think need to happen. So to keep Canada at that level, we need a league. We need development to improve. We need all of these different things to to get a deeper pool of players in the long run if we're going to keep up with, you know, England and Spain and and Germany and countries like this. But right now, I I still think they have the team to be competitive. So hopefully, is I I think you know expecting them to go and win it is is a real big ask. But being competitive in the knockout stage, looking like a team that's more of a threat to win it than they did in 2019. I think that would would be you know that would be the expectation for me. And and you mentioned a women's uh, a women's professional league. Do you think Canada is close to getting that? Is that anything do you th- that's on the horizon, or is that still maybe a couple years, or hopefully not too long, but maybe a bit uh, farther away? I think we're close. Um, I don't know exactly what it looks like yet, but and you know, I, those there's definitely still things behind the scenes being worked out. I think in in terms of you know how that's going to be led, what it will look like, but it's it's closer than people think. Like okay. there's def, there's definitely things happening. It's, it's not for me to to, to say or reveal no, in no. some cases because because obviously that the right time will come for that for the, for the people who are 
you know kind of working on that but it's it's not like i can promise people that it's not stagnant behind the scenes like there's definitely things moving and, and people working very hard to make that happen so i think my people might be pleasantly su- surprised by by how close that is and i guess just my last follow-up is how important do you think that would be for canada do you think that would almost put them in a in a place where they're top three four in the world i mean they have been but more at that hmm. upper echelon of, of world-class teams yeah it would be massive it wouldn't be an overnight transformation because it's something you, you need to build but i always i think people sometimes underestimate what a league could a women's league could be in canada like there's a tendency to just think well it's a, it's a female version of the cpl and there's nothing wrong with a cpl and i think that can go a long way as well but the big difference is, is that the CPL is coming into a world where there's a hundred professional men's leagues or whatever, right? And and some of them have been around for a century. And you know, you look at the money in the Premier League and La Liga, and and even in MLS, and and it's going to take a long time for us to to kind of catch up to to everyone else. Um, in the women's game, it's a completely different landscape. Like you're you're competing with a handful of diff- of leagues, right? And and Canada's. A country that's established in the women's game we've always had a top class women's team national team unlike the men um it's a we're a well-resourced country um you know that, that has the capability to make this happen there's, there's a lot more kind of immediate potential of of canada being able to to punch with the very best leagues in the world early on um on the women's side than there is on the men so i, I think people shouldn't underestimate you know how good that league could be and and, and, how, and how important it will be for, for the future of, of the national team as well and I think uh, a lot of this has come up with the CSA, which is the Canadian Soccer Federation, and it's, I guess, relationships with the men's and women's national teams and, and the men's team went on strike. And there's obviously discontent among, amongst the women's team as well. Um, I wanted to just ask, what are your thoughts about the CSA? And do you think it's, especially what's happened recently with the with the men's and women's national team, do you think they'll have a significant maybe negative effect on how maybe a a professional league grows for women and just maybe even how it affects the men's team at the world cup yeah i I don't think so um it's not the csa's job to start a league so you know i I don't see them being super involved in that obviously they support it in certain ways um but their focus is is really on on the national teams on grassroots and on all of those different things um Look, I I think what what I always come back to on this is is that the CSA is like a really small organization, right? It's been kind of a an organization that's much more comparable to kind of very small minority sports than it is, you know, comparable to Hockey Canada or basketball or, or, or whatever the case may be. And it's kind of had this absolute shell shock of suddenly we've won a gold medal at the Olympics and suddenly we're going to the World Cup for the first time in 36 years um, and we're competing competing you know on, on on the global stage with all of these massive teams and they just weren't ready for it right uh, they weren't ready for it in terms of you know the the compensation agreement they had with the players and suddenly all these things are being you know re-examined in terms of you know what are we getting from from kit sales and what are we getting in terms of bonus money like it, it just hadn't been thought about before uh, because it didn't need to be because we were talking about much smaller figures and much less success so um, it's been a bit of a shock to the system for them, I think. Um, obviously, now they, they've got to find a way out of it. And first and foremost, they've got to rebuild trust in, in whatever way they can, because clearly between the, the Federation and the players, that, that's kind of been lost. Um, but I think we, we, will, we will come through it and get out of it. And I would urge people not to forget, you know, when, when, when you look at where we were in just in 2017, 2018, compared to where we are now, where, 
you know, we've got that gold medal. We're going to the World Cup. We've got a men's league. The women's league is on the way. Like we've made so many strides. So as much as I, I, I get everyone's frustration and 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 the the feeling sometimes that you want to blow it all up, like you've got to keep your eye on the bigger picture here and, and and remember that we are making progress. And I think we'll continue to do so if we all pull in the same direction. And I guess probably, I mean, I don't want to take away from the women's winning winning the gold medal, but in terms of probably financial and and everything with the men's team going to the World Cup next week. Um, how kind of important has that been, do you think, uh, in terms of just generating that interest? And and what what was it like for you just to cover that team? And and what were some of your most fondest memories? Yeah, it was incredible. Um, uh, there was a ton of memories that you could pick out, I think. Um you know, Davies scoring against Panama was was definitely a highlight. That was that was that was the night where it all kind of really went to the next level in terms of the attention the team was getting in the country. Um, but th- there's a few, like e- e- even going down to Azteca, like on a personal level, that was obviously a bucket list one for me to be able to travel for that game and and be in that stadium. But also just seeing how Canada performs, like you you were watching this team against Mexico in one of the the most famous stadiums in world soccer, and they just looked totally unconcerned or unintimidated in in any way like they they played incredibly fearlessly so there's a bunch of moments that you can go through but yeah it was it was a pretty incredible journey um incredible obviously to have all but one qualifier in the octagonal and and to be able to cover it all the way um and yeah in 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 terms of you know you're right that you know rightly or wrongly and, and obviously we we'd want to see more World Cup prize money and and more investment in the women's game, but right now the reality is that the the big money is in the men's game, right? And so, I think John Herdman said it himself when he made that decision to come over from from the women's team to the men's team was the way we take this program to the next level in terms of investment is is to get to a men's World Cup, and yeah, it's it's been pretty transformative already, and I think it just even more so in the coming years up to twenty twenty six. Well, you you really helped me because my next question was about John Herdman, and I wanted to. I wanted to to ask just I know that you said that John Herdman changed the course of Canadian soccer and I wanted to ask how did he do that? Um it's a good question. I I think like it's his personality as much as anything. Like he's he's intense, right? Like I I have don't think I've ever really seen a coach who has as much attention to detail um who obsesses over every little thing that's that's within his power um and and you kind of you kind of get that sense when you know when when you see coaches at the top level like I, I covered the Premier League for a little while you you get this in, and players as well you get the sense that some of them are on a different different kind of level mentally in terms of their intensity in terms of you know just just focusing on every little tiny thing um compared to mere mortals like us right like they're, they're, they're a different type of person and Herdman is in that category I think um so it's it's that kind of that kind of personality that I think has done it and it's a combination of you know thinking big and and not being limited in in terms of his ambition and in terms of what he wants to achieve but then also there's no question as well beyond the the work he does as a coach that he builds uh incredible relationships with the players you know they they will will go to war for him you still hear you know, Christine Sinclair was was doing a, an interview recently where she was talking about it, you know, the, the connection that he builds with the players, the way he kind of understands, I think, how players tick. Um, you, you see another example of it, I think, with the way he talks about Daniil Henry yesterday yeah. when he was discussing leaving him out of the squad. And, and when you hear him talk about that, like, 
talk about Daniil like that, you kind of start to understand why these guys will will do anything for him, right? Like in in, in terms of that bond he's built. So yeah, it's, it's that combination, I think, of, of just being so driven and so intense and, and having an unbelievable work ethic combined with his ability to, you know, emotionally understand people and understand the players and, and, and really get them, you know, really kind of get them pushing in all in the same direction, which is, is a difficult thing to achieve. And, and he pushed them in the right direction to the, make the world cup, which is just incredible. And I wanted to know that the, the, the roster was released yesterday and I wanted to know what your initial impressions were, any surprises or omissions that, caught your eye as well i don't think it was massively surprising like i think the only one i was kind of waiting to find out on was was whether henry would be fit or not and if if not who would come in and i i suspect it was liam fraser obviously we don't know who would have been off if, if henry had made it but i i think that was probably the late change so i don't think we're in we're in a place yet in in terms of the, the national team where um they necessarily have the depth to have too many yeah. really difficult decisions around the fringes of the, of the roster i think it's pretty established and herdman as well has, has kind of managed it like a club team right he's he's committed to a group of guys who um have taken him through qualifying and, and we're always going to be there in qatar how important do you think the canadian premier league which you you cover has been in, in producing more of those depth players for canada uh for the senior men's national team well, it's, it's definitely helped already, um, you know, to have Joel Waterman there, I think is is pretty incredible for a, a four-year-old league um, to have already produced a, a World Cup player, an international player. And Lucas McNaughton got his debut as well, obviously against Bahrain, which is great. Um, so I think it's already helped to build out depth, but where I really see it making the biggest difference is like the next generation of players. Yeah. I think that the kids who are 16, 17, 18 now, you're already starting to see them in the CPL. Um they're the players that I think that are going to probably get their start there. And, 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 you know, some will still go the MLS route, some will still go abroad, but there's a lot of players and, and some players who maybe would have been missed um, who who will, will get their chance in the CPL, get the opportunity to play regularly, at, you know, every single week in, in, in senior, senior football. Um, and it's just a, it's just a great thing to have in terms of firstly, giving more players opportunities, but secondly, also being a safety net for, for guys who maybe just need a, a couple more years, right. And don't progress quite as quickly as others in, in, in MLS academies or whatever. And you can see that with someone like Baloo Tabla, right. Who, yeah. you know, kind of has a, has a difficult few years, gets released by Montreal. And, and if that had happened and the CPL is not there, I'm not sure what happens to Baloo, right. I'm not sure where he goes next, but now, He's able to to kind of just reset a little bit, find a foundation, and and I think now could could go back to a higher level and potentially go back into international team contention. And and I just wanted to transition a little bit to they play a game this week against Japan before the World Cup, and and you said this was a bit of a benchmark game for Canada. What do you want to see from Canada in this game against Japan? Well, I think it's like it's. It's close to the start of the tournament, so it's, it's a difficult one, but it's still a really vital opportunity, I think, to progress the performances against top teams. Like Japan's a World Cup team. They could be a knockout stage team. They're in a tough group, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. But they have that kind of quality. Um, and that's kind of like when, when I talk about Canada's chances in Qatar, like I think the biggest thing holding them back is just that they haven't played enough of these teams. Yeah. Um, like we saw against Uruguay that they can be competitive, but there's a difference between being competitive and then turning encouraging performances into actual results, right? Like being clinical in front of goal in these moments, shutting down 
world-class players like that I think is probably where they're going to come up short if I'm being realistic rather than really hopeful in, in Qatar so every game they get every experience they get against an opponent like this I think is super valuable so like I said it's, it's one that comes right before the tournament so you don't necessarily have a ton of time to dissect it and, and learn from it but just all the minutes they can get against these kinds of opponents I think is, is going to make the team better and, and improve their chances of, of, of causing an upset at the World Cup. You mentioned that you you think they might not be as clinical as, as some of these teams that are a bit higher in the world and just they haven't played enough of those teams themselves. Do you think having the quality of a of Davies, David, and and I guess you can say Eustachio, uh, Buchanan almost mitigates them in, in a tournament style format where they have those kind of game breakers to 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 nick a goal when they really need it out of nothing. Yeah, that, that's the hope, right? That's what you would hang on to, I think, if you're trying to make a case for Canada causing causing an upset against a team like Belgium or Croatia or or whoever, um, is that they have players in certain players in, in kind of X factor positions who who could be difference makers. Um like you look at you look at the the back line for Belgium as good of a of a team as they are, they've got you know, some older players at this point in, in Alderweireld and Batongan who have gone back to the Belgian league. They've got some very good young players as well, but they don't necessarily have a ton of defenders who are kind of in the peak years of their careers and playing at the top level. Um, Canada in attack is going to be able to roll out a Bayern Munich player and a Lille player and, and someone in Buchanan who, you know, I think could go to that level as well. So that that's where you're, you're kind of looking at and, and, and thinking if Canada can, you know, can cause any kind of upset here. Is their ability to match up their best players against maybe some some of the weaknesses of the opponent, um, but it's still you know that's only obviously part of the game and and the rest of that Belgian team, the midfields, the options they have in attack, it's going to be incredibly difficult. So they're, they're underdogs for sure, but you're right that that's kind of the, the the one thing that makes you believe a little bit that they could do something here is that they do have these these X factor players who who could be difference makers. And I guess personally, what would what would for you be a, a realistic expectation for Canada? Is it to get a, a result? Is it to make it out of the group? What do you think is a real, realistic expectation for Canada? Um, I, th- I think we'd all have to see them win a game, right? Like that would be the starting point for me is, uh, you know, Morocco is is a team that shouldn't be un- underrated by any means. And they're probably on paper still a better team than Canada, even if they don't have a, a player as good as Davies necessarily. Um, but you feel like they can they can be competitive in that game. You feel like obviously that they're, they're going to give it everything they've got to to cause an upset against Belgium or Croatia. Um, if they can get a win, I think that's that's going to be a fantastic moment for for the country. And whatever happens aside from that, that will feel like a, a pretty big success. But generally speaking, I I just want to see them go and hold their own, right? Like you, you just don't want to see them kind of get blown out or, or look like they don't belong, which I don't think they will. But you, you, you want to see them continue kind of the fight we've seen in qualifying where where they can go up against teams that on paper have more quality and, and defy the odds a little bit. And I guess who is who do you think is the most important player for Canada if they are to to get that win and at uh next week's World Cup? I think it's gotta be Davies. Uh you know, I know it's the obvious one, but I, I think everything is is gonna go through him. Um and we, we just talked about this on on the show we taped today a little bit. Like I think with Davies as well He's still in some ways learning to to play as a forward. So obviously it's not where he plays for for his club. He's learning when to make the right decision, when to when to try and take someone on or two or three people on, when to hand the ball off to, to someone else. Um 
that's I still think is a learning process for him. And when he gets it right, we saw in the Uruguay game, when he makes the right decision, often means chance for Canada, right? And, and and good things happen. When he doesn't, it can mean a turnover, it can mean a counterattack, and it can swing completely the other way. So I think his his ability, like not to try to do too much, but at the same time, you, you don't you almost don't want to tell Davies that don't try to do too much because you do want him to try some things, right? You do want him to to, to be creative and, and and try to be a difference maker, but it's just getting that balance right between, you know, when when to maybe take the easier option and when to try something that's a bit more difficult. Is is there a player on on this national team that might play a little bit that most people don't really know, but really should k- kind of look for and, and be excited for? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I think probably. I don't know how many people don't know him at this point because he's obviously rising very, very quickly. But Kone is the one who comes to to mind for me, right? Like, I think maybe if you haven't been watching much of Montreal this season, he's still relatively new to you. Um, but he he's an exciting player. He's the one for me when when you look at this team now in terms of who's going to be the next guy who who goes to Europe, who goes to a high level, who makes himself a core part of this national team going forwards over the next few years. I, I think it's him. So. Um, we'll see what kind of role he has in terms of how much trust Herdman feels at this stage. He's 20 years old. He's in his first year as a pro. It's kind of come out of nowhere. So what, what kind of role he gets exposed to, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think he's he's incredibly talented and, and will go a long way. Him and Nustakio would sound really nice, if, uh, both in their yeah. uh, 2026. But uh, I, I wanted to ask just a little bit before I ask maybe about the first game against Belgium is what do you think is Canada's biggest weakness going up against these more um, these better teams at the World Cup? Um, I think it's probably their ability to survive periods of pressure that they're going to have to survive, um, and then release that those periods of pressure at times as well. Like it's easy to say, well, you know, we're just going to defend deep and play on the counter attack, but trying to do that for ninety minutes is really difficult. Uh, I don't think they'll want to do that. But by the way, either I think they'll want to have periods where they have the ball and try and press a bit higher and try and be really brave in, in ways that people might not expect them to. But certainly you, you, you've got to have some quality to be able to do that, to be able to, you know, make good decisions when you're playing out from the back, to be able to make good decisions when when you're choosing to to press higher up the pitch and not leave a load of space behind you. You need to be able to do that, I think. I don't think you can just park park yourself on the edge of the box for, for the whole game and, and survive against teams like this. They just have too much quality. Um, but it's finding finding the, the right moments to do that and, and then having the quality to do it as well to to just kind of relieve the pressure a little bit and give your defense a breather for, for 10 or 15 minutes. So Canada plays Belgium in almost a week from now. What would your starting 11 be for Canada in, in their first game? Assuming uh, for this, uh, I'll just uh, caveat that Davies is 100% fit. Okay. Um, Boyan in goal, obviously. I think I'd go... Well, the back three will be Johnston, Vittoria, and Miller. I don't think there's much question about that. Um, I'd have Adekubi on the left. And then pro- probably what I think or, or what I suspect is is the big selection decision along with the midfield is is the right wing back, whether it's Hoylet or Larea or potentially even Buchanan. I, I think Buchanan will play further forwards. But I'll go I'll go Hoylet at right wing back. Um, Eustachio, and I'm going to say Hutchinson in central midfield, but obviously we'll, we'll see against Japan what kind of kind of match fitness he's in uh and then david davies and buchanan up front i think with with laren available off the bench would be my prediction and uh and i guess my my kind of last question or just to, to end off is 
Um, who do you think is going to score the first goal for Canada at the World Cup? Um, let's go with Jonathan Davids. I think he seems right. like the obvious answer, right? With with the form he's in, um, yeah, Canada's going to need Jonathan Davids to be very good. So I'll I'll take the take David for that one. And uh, so thanks so much for coming on. And I really appreciate this, Oliver. I just wanted to know, is there anything at One Soccer that people should keep their eyes open for or anything that uh, is coming up in, in the future? Yeah, so obviously we've got the Japan game on, on Thursday. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And then we'll be doing a show every single day through the through the World Cup, which I'm sure people will be hearing about pretty soon. So yeah, we're excited, obviously, for the tournament. And yeah, it's going to be a pretty special month. Hopefully, Canada's in it for as, as long as possible, but whatever happens, it's going to be fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on, uh, Oliver, and uh, have a great time at the World Cup. Thanks, Alex.